One can steal ideas, but no one can steal execution or passion. Tim Ferriss. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. Today's myth is kind of a twofold thing. The first part is that ideas themselves need to be protected in some way. The second part of this is that worthy ideas are unique. We find in looking at some of the best stories out there that there are trends among them. The hero's journey rings true for a lot of people, which is why it's so popular. Well, my story kills all the characters halfway through the second act. Okay, yes, that's unique, but it's really hard to have a problem and a solution at the beginning and end of your story if you have a complete cast change halfway through. We talked about this a little bit in January when we had our Brandon Sanderson episode. He mentioned that quite the opposite is true. If you want to get a story down, but you're not sure what to do, go find a plot that you like and break it down to its essential structure. And steal that structure. If you like heist movie structures, change what they're stealing, change the cast, change the setting, change everything else, but keep that structure because it's proven successful to you. And if you're writing selfishly, it'll prove successful to your story as well. Have you ever seen the movie The Italian Job? A long time ago, and I don't remember anything. The hacker character in the story claims that he was the guy who actually invented Napster. And his roommate in college stole it from him and developed the idea and got the credit for becoming the Napster. And if you're unfamiliar with Napster, it was the early 2000s, I think, downloading company that went out of business a long while ago because of, well, illegal downloads of copyrighted work. The reason why I want to bring this up is who really invented Napster? Was it this character who had the idea or his roommate who executed it? Assuming what this character claims is true, which of course it isn't, but the concept here. In the world of the Italian job, it's a good question. In the end, the one who did the work with the idea is the one who got credit for inventing it. Ideas are wonderful, great things, but they are just that. Ideas. The reason this myth exists, that ideas need to be protected, is because people look at that, see the potential of work that they're going to be putting into it, and want it to be theirs alone right away. Because writing is hard. I see a fair amount of people saying, I want feedback on my blurb, but I'm not going to tell you what the story is actually about because I don't want you to steal my story. I don't want you to steal my idea. This myth of ideas needing to be protected and that they're special and unique in some way is perpetuated by people's fear of someone else plagiarizing them. You hear stories about plagiarism all the time. If you were in school, you were told all of the time by teachers, don't plagiarize, we will know. So in almost all writers, in the back of their mind is this shapeless monster called plagiarism. And they fear that someone is going to take that idea and make it real without them. But the thing with ideas 
is only you can carry it out the way that you have it envisioned. And in the opposite, but therefore exactly the same vein, I've heard authors worry about the fact that, what if I accidentally plagiarized? We had this in our Frequently Asked Questions episode last December about accidentally stealing story ideas. What if I accidentally plagiarize somebody else because I read about it in a Facebook post? Inspiration is not plagiarism. Plagiarism is taking things word for word and maybe changing a couple of things. So that's some of the reasons why this myth gets perpetuated out there. People are very possessive, especially if it's something that they've worked very hard on. They don't want anyone else stealing their ideas. But if you look at your favorite stories out there, your favorite ideas out there, there are trends among them. A young boy is tasked to be the chosen one. They are fighting a dark entity of some kind, and they have to trek across world or worlds or countries, be far from home in order to defeat this lord by getting rid of certain special items. What story did I just describe? Is there a prophecy involved around said hero? Probably. (laughs) That could be Harry Potter. That could also be Star Wars. That could also be Lord of the Rings. And that's just a drop in the bucket of what it could be. There are so many stories that are very similar to this. And yet we still love all of these stories independently, despite if you break it down to their basic structure, they are the same story. If you need more evidence than that, if you want to be unique and not having this, audiences are drawn to particular genres. The fact that genres exist should let you know that to a reader, to know what they want in a story, they need to be able to get that from your story or reject your story because it's not their style. These things that genres have in common are these worthy ideas that are not unique. They're the structures. They're the tropes that are all very helpful as you write your story. Because your story will be unique in its own way, but it's not unique in the basics. But I don't want to be cliche. Cliche is good. You don't want to be cliche in things like Once Upon a Time or on a dark and stormy night. Those are bad cliches, but cliches about the structure of a story, about the plot, those are good because like Lee said, it's what the readers expect. And there's always that bit of satisfaction that you need to give your readers if you want to have a audience. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, only the people who are worried about being cliché end up being cliché. Everyone else just write selfishly, do your thing. Being worried about cliché does not make your writing better. If you love Romeo and Juliet, but you want it to be set in New York with gangs instead of rival houses in Verona, and you want to make it a musical, you suddenly have West Side Story. It's one of my favorite musicals out there. It is so much fun and interesting, and so much of the structure was taken from Shakespeare, 
but Romeo and Juliet works. And it's proven time and again, this structure worked. So there's a person out there called Christopher Booker, and he has postulated that there are only nine basic plots out there in the world. And I agree. If you break it down to the basics, there aren't that many different kinds of plots. We've said it before, we'll say it again. And that is okay. This is why the idea alone is not unique. Because your idea will likely follow one of those nine plots. It just needs some time to get there. And most importantly, work. And this is where protection comes in. You do need to protect your work. Not the ideas, but the actual work that you have done. As we said in the last episode, writing is not easy. The writing part is what's unique to you. Your voice, your perspective, your storytelling style, all of these things are only yours. The ideas will be everybody's. Protecting the individual words put in the order that you put them in, that's the work part of being an author. This is where copyright comes into play. When you actually have it written, then you can copyright your work. If you have ideas that you're trying to copyright and legally protect, that can fall under patents, but that tends to be more for physical things. Things that you can actually show and say, here is this thing that I'm going to create, that I am working on. Not this idea that I have for a potential book. One of the things that I do to protect my work, even before it's published and officially under my name, is when I'm sending it to my alphas or betas, I send it as an attachment and I have a cookie cutter email that says, don't be a jerk and copyright this. By opening this, you are agreeing that it's my work. That way they can't copy it without breaking the terms of the agreement that I've put forth in the email. And that's a great way to show, you know, if you do run into a problem with a beta reader, which I will say is very uncommon if you get good, trusted beta readers. But that's one way that you can use to help protect the work that isn't quite ready yet to be copyrighted because you don't want to copyright something until it's done. I believe you can change up to 10% of your content before it needs to be a separate copyright. If you have a single misspelling in your book, you don't have to recopyright the whole thing. So when it comes to your ideas, claim them as your own, work on them, enjoy them. Who cares what the world thinks about your ideas? Take them and go write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 